Shoes. This is Dave Arnold, your host of Cooking Your Shoes, coming to you live on Newsstand Studios at Rockefeller Center in the heart of New York City. Joined, as usual, with Nastasia the Hammer Lopez. How are you doing, Stas? Good. Back from your California trip there? Yes. Yeah? You have a good time in California? Yes. Yeah. Except for in San Francisco. Uh, let me ask you a question. Well, I know. I know. We have, we have our San Francisco uh, issue. Hey, here's a question for you, Stas. Mm-hmm. Ready? We'll, we'll go through it. Remind me, San Francisco. You going to remind me? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Uh, also, as usual, we got uh, we got John. We got customer service. Uh, John, how you doing? Doing great, thanks. Yeah, yep. you're, you're in New York City these days. <laughs> yep, New York City these yeah. days. Yep. Yeah, and we got, of course, Joe Hazen in our freaking Rock Center booth. How you doing? I'm doing well. How are you guys? Yeah, I mean, uh, you you probably have the most to report. Not that you want to report it, but you know, there you go. And uh, we got uh, Jackie Molecules chilling. Uh, now, where are you now, dude? Come on, man. Where are you? Los Angeles. I'm home. Los Angeles. I'm home. L.A. All right. Where, where, you, where do you live? Yeah. What, what part of Los Angeles are you from? Or where, where do you live? Silver Lake. I'm, I'm from New York. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. First of all, I don't even I'm know why I asked because you could say anything and unless it was literally the Hollywood Hills, I would have no idea where it is. You could just make stuff up and I have no <laughs> idea. I would have no idea where you are. Uh, and we were supposed to have a mushroom farmer on the, uh, like a literal mushroom farmer. And if anybody is listening uh, from the New York Botanical Garden, this is the Botanical Garden in the Bronx. All right. For those of you that don't know, we have two very good botanical gardens here in New York City. We have the Brooklyn Botanical Garden, and we have the New York Botanical Garden in the Bronx. Now, they were founded, I think, back when Brooklyn was its own city, right? So Brooklyn's kind of, even though Brooklyn's one of our five boroughs, they're kind of a pain in the behind to the, to the rest of us because they didn't, when they integrated the two cities together, they didn't want to integrate their systems. So four boroughs, I can borrow a book. In, in, if I'm from Staten Island, I can borrow a book in Manhattan and I can return it in Staten Island where I live because the library system's all the same. Staten Island, Bronx, same. I can, I can get it. If there's a book in the Bronx, I can get it sent to me, right? Queens, not a problem. Remember, Queens envelops, envelops Brooklyn. Brooklyn is completely surrounded by Staten Island, Queens, and Manhattan and water. I mean, that's it. I mean, it's completely enveloped. And yet Brooklyn's like, no, our library system is different. And we're not going to combine them. You guys have your library. We have ours. And they did the same thing with their botanical garden. All right? Now, the Brooklyn Botanical Garden is amazing. It's awesome. It's like a jewel. It's not as... I wish they'd handled their reopening differently in COVID, but whatever. That's what it is. It's a beautiful place. But the New York Botanical Garden in the Bronx is one of... It's, it, it's what got me through the pandemic. Remember, Stas, you remember when people were like, what is there to do in New York now? And I was like, I don't know. There's the Botanical Garden and like we have some parks and I couldn't think of anything else. Remember yeah, that? yeah, yeah. Yeah. So in the Botanical Garden, there's something called the Enid Haupt Conservatory. Now, Enid Haupt was a very, very rich lady, so rich that she was able to keep herself alive until she was like 101 or some crazy thing. I mean, I think she was just transfused with money on a constant basis. And she paid for the redoing of this big old glass conservatory that looks kind of like Kew Gardens. You know, everything's based on Kew. Anyway, in order to go through the conservatory, you have to go through this underground tunnel made of corrugated metal. That looks like it looks like you're getting shot out of somebody's colon. It's like corrugated metal and it's dark and there's no plants in it. It's the only place. Whole freaking whole freaking botanical garden. No plants. I was like, you know what you should do down here? Mushrooms. It should grow mushrooms in that tube. Even though and I don't want to hear about it from you people, even though mushrooms are more closely related to people than they are to plants, they're not plants, I think the average person would enjoy it. Yeah. Anyway, we were supposed to have a mushroom farmer on. I could have asked them about it. But they uh, apparently couldn't make it, farming mushrooms. Yeah. 
Anyway, uh, if you're listening live on Patreon, uh, call your questions in to 917-410-1507. That's 917-410-1507. And if you'd like to know how to listen live and call in questions, uh, where should they look us up, John? Patreon.com slash cooking issues. Yeah. All right. Now back to San Francisco. Stas, mm-hmm. lady on my floor is, is moving out, out of the buildings, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, she's like, I saw her. And, you know, she has the dog, dog sniffing me. I'm like, oh, hey, she smells my dogs, which is the dumb thing that every dog owner says when another dog is sniffing you, right? Oh, he smells my dogs, right? Yeah. How many times have you heard? You, when you hear it coming out of your own mouth, it's absurd. You know what I mean? Because you've heard it so many times. Anyway, whatever. It's, it's what it is. It's, it's like, you know, the equivalent of talking about the weather. Anyways. So she's like, yeah, I'm moving. I'm moving. I'm getting, I'm getting out of this city. She doesn't talk like that. I'm moving. I'm getting out of this city. I'm like, oh, yeah? Where are you going? She goes, London. I go, you have to get out of the city, so you move to London? I was like, London's like the same place, different accent. And she completely disagreed with me. Completely disagreed with me. Don't you guys, am I wrong or is she wrong? I think you're wrong. You think I'm wrong? I think San Francisco is much more different from New York than London is. I mean, London's huge. It's a pain in the butt. People are jerks. Yeah, they have I good food that. and they have a lot of culture and, they, and they, they speak English. They're more like us than San Francisco is for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah, agree with that. yeah. I'll say. Oh, yeah. They, they have a, they have a, they have a, you know, a, a big mix of people like we have. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like, I don't know. I, I, f- I would feel much more at home in. Yep. No offense, San Francisco, but I feel much more at home in in London than I would in San Francisco. Aside from like, you know, I don't know. I don't know whatever. That's yeah, I agree. London's like the most New York city outside of New York. I agree. Yeah. And, and what is it that you hate about New York that's fixed by moving to London? You know what I'm saying? That's the other thing. I mean, it's, I'm uh, sure they're different because well, like, you, you get know, to travel to Europe. Proximity. Yeah. To other places yeah, in Europe. Europe. All right. But that, yeah, like uh, France okay, becomes yeah. your Philly. Oh, you know? France becomes your Philly. <laughs> wow. France becomes your Philly. All right. I hadn't thought about that. I, I was just thinking about it strictly on a city basis, not on a, a leaving basis, because as everybody knows, as soon as you move to a big city, Unless you're rich or a specific kind of person, your life contracts to a two block radius. You know what I mean? Like, like, this <laughs> sure, is yeah. oh, you live in you live in the big city. No, actually, I live in like a four block, five block radius. And anytime someone asks you to go like far afield from that, you're like, oh god, Stas, what do I got to do to get you to cross a river? <laughs> uh, we never cross a river. That's right. Yeah. Like, e- like. If you had to Pizza. clean up, if you had to clean up somebody's like you know murdered body, and you had to cross the river to do it, you would hire a task rabbit instead of going to do it yourself. You know what I'm saying? Because you don't want to cross the river. Am I wrong? Yes. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah. The only river she crosses is when she's getting out of Dodge and going back up to Connecticut. Right? What a nightmare. Anyway. All right. Sorry. All right. So we're since we don't have a guest, we're going to answer uh, a lot of the Patreon questions. But Stas, you want to talk about the, what are these things here that are sitting on our desk? Well, Joe. Oh, oh I forgot. I forgot. We have a... <laughs> Whoa. Oh, family show. Sorry. I believe you're talking about uh, a, a, a male, a male mm-hmm. chicken. A male chicken. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you know that there's an, actually a bird called cock of the walk? It's an actual thing I was told by my... What's a birdophile called? A bird lover? What are they, what's, what, there's a word for them, right? People who like love birds. My cut, my my nephew and and my uh, brother-in-law are, are bird people. Cock of the walk, yeah. Where's it from, John? I'm assuming you're looking it up. It's orange and black. Uh, let's see. Ornithologist. Ornithologist. No, no that's a go. person one who studies birds. That's a studier. Of All right, birds. so just like a, a hobbyist bird. 
South I can't find a word for it. Yes, yeah, so, yeah, the cock of the walk is a South American bird. Now it's, it's all coming back to me. The Andean cock of the rock is the national bird of Peru. Ah, man. We should have asked our man about that. We should have. Yeah. It was a bad connection, so it was hard to, to get through. All right, so Stas also. I mean, one more thing. Uh, we have Joe. Joe, pronounce your last name so I don't mutilate it. It's Joe Gutasha. Gut, but like how much of an emphasis do I put on the tuh? Gutasha. Like, is that- uh, it's a T, so I want it to sound like a T. You don't want it to be deed out like Gutasha? No. Gutasha. Yo! Gutasha. Well, sometimes that happens. Gutasha? Yeah. That but kinda, do, that do, has do you a hate D. that? You hate it a lot? No, I don't. And uh, Joe is a fresh New Yorker. He's a freshly minted New Yorker. That is true. How, how are you liking it so far? Uh, I'm still adjusting. Mm, mm, yeah. Uh, you know what? You know what? I'm going to ask you in about 20 years. You know what you're going to say? What? Still adjusting. Still adjusting. Still yeah. adjusting. You know what the best thing about New York is? Have I already told you this? This is what I tell everybody. So a tropical prob- garden. No, no, no. The best thing. The, the, honestly, the best thing about New York. They, the, the one thing that that keeps me loving the city, like after everything, is that. The thing about New York is, is that because it's such a like a uh, a garbage disposal, like it just chums you up and spits you out. Like as soon as you show up in New York and pay your first rent check, as soon as you say you're a New Yorker, you're a New Yorker. I mean, I think that's the best thing about us. Like we're from everywhere. We're, like yeah. you know, and like you know, even if you've lived in New York for eight billion years, you try to flex on someone saying you're a legitimate New Yorker and someone else isn't, and you'll get smacked right down to the street top. You know what I mean? I mean, I think that's the best thing about us. You know, unlike some other cities I know where, you know, if you haven't been there 18 generations, you're fake. You know what I mean? Whatever. You you feel that way, Joe? Um, I don't know. It would feel dishonest still for me to present as a New Yorker. It's it's not about it's you don't have to present as a New Yorker. It's as soon as you feel you're a New Yorker. You are. That's, That's the nice thing about it. You know what I mean? That's what's so cool about it. You know? And then as soon as you feel like you can't hack it anymore and you need to move to the burbs because you have some sort of, I don't know, then you're not anymore. But you can still say you are. If you've lived here for an appreciable length of time, you can still say you are. What do you think? What do you think, John? Do you think if you live, it, if you live in Manhattan for like 10 years or Brooklyn or Queens, whatever, yeah. and then you move out to like, you know, New Jersey, how long can you say you're a New Yorker? I think once you leave New York. You can't anymore? You, you, I think then you say, I was a New Yorker. What about when you're traveling? And people ask you where you're from. The city. Okay. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. I, I told everybody in Mexico I was from New York. See? But then I said I lived in L.A. From New York, I lived in L.A. All right. That makes sense. All right. Uh, John, yeah, you like, want... I'm from New York, but I live in L.A. From New York. That makes sense. You know, I'm from Palo Alto and live in New York and have like since forever. I mean, but like, you know, I haven't been back to Palo Alto since I was like three. So it doesn't really count. Uh, John, you want to tell them about what we have coming up on uh, p- uh, the Patreon and uh, for our Patreon subscribers and people that are coming up soon? Yeah, super exciting. Next week, we have Francisco Magoya coming on to talk about uh, modernist pizza. So that's going to be great. Then the following week, we have Nick uh, from Grove and Vine, and we're going to do an olive oil tasting. We're going to have Kenji Lopez on on a Monday. <laughs> at a different time, but we're going to have him on in person. So just giving everyone a heads up that that's coming. Just got the walk book. Haven't read it yet. Yep. Oh, just great. got it. Good. Good. Yeah. Good. Good. Uh, James Hoffman, Matt from kitchen arts and letters. James Hoffman, coffee, coffee genius. Yep. Coffee genius. Yeah. A lot of people have been asking for him. Uh, then Matt from kitchen arts and letters is going to be making a guest appearance soon to talk about some classics in the field. Um, and we are still working on running a 20% off of most authors books coming up. I don't know if that applies to modernist pizza. 
I'd guess no, but um, I'll be in touch with him. And we also wanted to thank. Well, if two- it does, we have to figure it out right now because. Yeah, I mean, I'll email him today. Yeah. yeah. Um, but he wants to run that promotion after we have the guests on the air. Anyways, we have a couple of days, but whatever. I'll find that out for everyone. Um, and then we also have been meaning to call out two people who sent us some products recently, a uh, long time ago, Yandu vegetable umami. Uh, By the way, yeah, good product. Great product. Yeah. You mentioned it on air a couple weeks ago and we didn't have the brand name. So I wanted to everyone to know about that. I legitimately use it in my house. Same. Same. Even even in non-vegetarian applications. Oh, we got to talk. If there's time at the end, let's just let's go out on Vegan Fridays and Eric Adams and like what's going on here and like the it's the verbal language. It's not Vegan Fridays that bothers me. Aside from like the weird cast of like Catholicism that it, mm-hmm. you know putting it on a Friday when anyway. But like let's go because the language that's surrounding it is I think troublesome, but we'll we'll yeah. do that later. Okay, All right, go ahead, go ahead. And then we also want to thank out. Uh, Mike from Toronto Panettone. He is obviously in Toronto and he sent us a Panettone right before the holidays. We forgot to thank him on, uh, you know, publicly for it. It was one, it was probably the best Panettone I've personally had. So thank you, Mike, for that. And he cut off a piece of it and then threw it out the window, masked uh, in the the height of the pandemic, tossed it at me and drove. I had had to like, I had to like (laughs) make sure it didn't fall into a puddle of filth. Hey, Nastasi, remember when we were moving in the, uh, we were moving stuff into uh, Eldridge Street back when we had the lab. <laughs> and I'm trying to stay clean, and we're moving all of this, like, vi- big, heavy stuff. And I <laughs> That ha- was your, your favorite shirt. Well, I have my favorite shirt. My favorite, uh, my favorite uh, you know, like, uh, Guayabera that Jen bought me when she was working in Panama. It's like, it was that peach-colored, like, linen, like, the whole nine yards. I'm like, I don't want to ruin this shirt. So I take it off. I mean, it's, you know, shirt sleeves, because, of course, I always wear 8,000 shirts. You know what I mean? So, anyway, so like, I take off the, my outer vestments. You said guard it with your leg. I put it in the back seat of my car. Nastasi's like, Bap! opens the door and, like, just, just like, <laughs> bustles it with her butt into. Now, it's hard to beat a New York City filth puddle. Ugh, yeah. It's, like, dirt, dead rats, oil. And like street sweeping garbage, melted snow, water, and spit. And in this particular location, the shavings off of Coconut Foot's feet, who lived next to us and kept shaving his feet into the sidewalk every morning. Oh. Remember that? Remember Coconut Foot? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, shirt goes right in there. I'm like, it's done. <laughs> it's done. I'm so angry. It's too. It, it's too wet. I can't even burn it and give it a decent burial. It's like, oh. it's over. <laughs> Uh, that's our relationship in a nutshell. Anyway, back to Yandu. We should get that. Maybe they'll uh, want to sponsor because I legitimately think it's a good product. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Yeah, yeah. I'll try and find her email again. But uh, stupidly, whenever I use it, I sing this Katmandu song with just Yandu. Okay. I'm going to use Yandu. <laughs> I'm going to use Yandu. Like that, like just stupid. Dumb. Yeah. <laughs> just dumb. This is the problem of cooking alone and like... You know, you just have to sit there and sing things to yourself. You need some form of infotainment. I have no infotainment in my kitchen, so I should, maybe I should rectify that. Anyways. Yeah. Uh, so, Stas, you have some stuff here? Are we gonna... That's not for me. That is from Joe. It's from Joe. Yes. All right, Joe, what do we got? Yeah, I brought some macaroons from Mexico. Keep your face in the mic, Joe. It's in not the mic. about his face in the mic. All right. All right. Well, so, it's what are about my snacks? voice. Okay. <laughs> so, I can't see them from where I'm sitting. Yeah, those are panditas. Uh, they are enchilada flavored gummy bears. <laughs> All right. All right. And, do this last. What? 
Well, let's try that first, and then we do the rest I, of them after the question. All right, listen. Gummy, panditas enchilados. Let's see here. This is the, it's not a mouth noise. This is the crinkling of the bag, which is Nastasia's reason she doesn't go to movies. Hold on. Give me a mouth noise away. They're good. They taste like uh, gummy bears rolled in, um, in that uh, Lucas powder. I could use more spice on it, though. I could use a little more acidity, a little more spice, but I'm, I'm going to go ahead with good. But, Stas, you like your gummy bears tacky like that, or you like them harder? Mm, I like them like this. Do you know what I like? Mm. I like when you get the Haribo bears, and then you let them go stale. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. I like textured candy. Why mm. is it that a stale Haribo is good, but a stale marshmallow is bad? Because even a white stale Haribo is good. Yeah. Anyway. I like them in all of their phases. Uh, Joe, uh, the two Joes. What are your favorite uh, stage of gummy bear? You like them fresh, or you like them uh, you like them hard? <laughs> I don't have a exact <laughs> preference. They're both they're both great, I guess. Mm, mm, all right. And what about you? What about you, uh, Wacky Jackie? What do you got for me on your gummy? What's your gummy bear preference? Fresh. Mm, fresh. Do you like pectin based candies? Like like. Those uh, you know those fruit wedges, those heart, those pectin fruit wedges that like. I love them. Yeah, they're good, right? Love them. Yeah. The, yeah. Co- the kosher. Yeah, I don't, I don't mind those. Yeah. yeah, I think they're delicious, and they're like, uh, what's the uh, when the when the French make them, when they make them all high end, they're like pet fruit, pet fruit, pet fruit, yeah. But I call them fruit slices. Open the white one. Open the white one. All right, this one says. Oh, just by the way, like my favorite gummy bear. Yeah. Are the Haribos, but. The uh, you can only get them in Germany. They're called Saft, S A F T, which means juice in German. And I believe they're like seventy five percent fruit juice. They set a whole new bar for gummy bears. Well, we got to get them. You got to ship them here, and we'll try them. I found them on Amazon. I'll get some for us next time. All right, get them. Yeah, we'll we'll expense that stuff, and uh, we'll even sing their little jingle. Haribo macht Kinderfroh und Erwachsene ebenso, right? Yeah. And, yeah. And you know, during the holidays, during December time, if you, I don't know why, but if supposedly you bring chestnuts to the Haribo factory, you can trade chestnuts for gummy bears. Whoa, 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 what? First of all, you know, they're opening a factory in the U.S. If they haven't already opened it, it's in construction right now. Uh, a new factory in the U.S. Can you pull that chestnut business here in the U.S.? Can we go to the U.S. factory, hand them chestnuts, and I get gummy bears? I don't know why. I really don't. When I w- when we were in Germany, in Berlin, um, they were like, oh, yeah, everyone goes around this time to uh, to collect chestnuts and bring them over to the factory. I'm like, that's interesting. I wonder why that is the case. And no one knew why. Like Tooth Fairy, but with chestnuts. This is a good fact, Joe. This is a good fact. I think our I think our listeners are would, will enjoy uh, enjoy this fact. Yeah, huh? It's kind of like the Pope's hat. You know about the Pope's hat? It, there's a ratio. If you carry a skull cap around with you at all times, and you happen to meet the Pope, and you hand the Pope your skull cap, he will try on your skull cap, and if it fits him, he will give you his old one, and if not, he'll <laughs> hand you back yours. But really? the Pope is still yeah, yeah, it's a thing. Is he still walking around like? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's all yeah. It's it's one of those things. It's like if if Nastasi were the Pope, she'd be like, "Oh, the hat thing again." <laughs> 
Oh, God. That's what, right, Saz? You would hate that. Mm-hmm. You would call an end to that tradition. What's the ratio, John? The fruits of the forest are weighed and then exchanged for prepackaged Haribo products at a ratio of 10 to 1 for chestnuts. Wait, 10 to wait, 10 chestnuts, one bear, or 10 bears, one chestnut? By weight or by unit? By kilogram. And then 5 to 1 for acorns, according to the number of kilograms. Only acorns? Ch- what are they going to do with acorns? Only chestnuts and acorns without shells will be accepted, the company said. You have to shell the acorns? Oh my god. Wait, wait. Which is the 10? 10 bears or 10 nuts? 10, 10 bears nuts. to nuts, I think. So if I show up with a pound of shelled chestnuts, I get 10 pounds of gummy bears? It can't be. It can't be. That's that that is a that is an economically non-feasible ratio. John, figure it out. So what yeah, are they this doing is a with German the nuts? German newspaper site, so it might just be a bad translation too. Are they but. doing something with the nuts that kind of helped the process of making the gummy bears? Originally it's- organized for children in 1936, oh. the collecting and weighing of chestnuts is anu- now an annual event for both young and old. That's what they feed the Oompa Loompas. All right, so we got these things. I've actually had these, but not this brand. Arc, well, how do you pronounce this? Pronounce this for me in uh, pretend it's, it's well, don't drop it, don't drop oh. it! Oh, John. All right, so I'm looking at these things. I've had them before. Joe, here, take this one. Joe. Uh, so these uh, are graham crackers with marshmallow bloblets and, like, I think coconut usually. And, like, half of the bloblets are pink and the other half are, like, uh, are white. It's like a checkerboard. It's like a checkerboard. I've had these before. I'm going to go with a solid. Oh, this one's not graham cracker, though. It's like a butter cracker. Let's try, let's try this, guys. Ready? Right, sorry for the mouth noises. Mm, I like mm. it. Oh, artificial strawberry on point. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm. Kind of tastes like Nestle Quick. Mm-hmm. What I like especially about this, no fruit was harmed in the making of this product. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, there's nothing, there's nothing natural about that. Mm. I'm going to guess, uh, where's the product? I'm going to guess margarine for sure. Is there anything, let me um, see if I can read this. Because it's undoubtedly in Spanish here. Uh, They have a... They they don't want you to know anything about the nutrition, so they print it black on foil. So it's... Even if my eyes were still a young person's eyes, it would be completely illegible. Now, we'll worry about it later. So, Stas, that's your favorite so far? I think so, yeah. You don't want to try... Yeah, yeah. You think it's Principe? How do you think you pronounce that? Principe. Principe. Those are my favorite. Those, like fueled me and my team in Mexico. You know what, uh, in, my, in uh, my stepfather's family, when they're making fun of someone who's, like, uh, very delicate, Principe said elegat. You know what I mean? Like, she's a, she's a delicate princess. Yeah. You know what I mean? All right, so we'll try it. Sorry, sorry, people, but we got to try all these things for you. So what I'm looking at here are Principes. You must have had these in your checked luggage, Joe, because uh, they got the ever-loving heck beat out of them. They're still, they're still, let's see, it's, uh... All right, here you go. Here. Right. By the way, do you know what I had recently when I was in the airport that I haven't had in decades, but I love, love, love them? The Keebler Corporation. These are the elves that live in trees. Keebler. And they, they cook, bake things. So they have various little snack packs that are cookies, little cookies, usually buttery cookies, so cross between a Ritz and a Saltine. You guys know what I'm talking about, these cookies? Yeah. And the combinations are regular cookie, cheese cookie, and then the other combination is peanut butter or cheese in the middle. The money, 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 money combo that I found, I saw, and I haven't had it since I was a kid. The combo to end all combos is the cheese cracker with the peanut butter on the inside. That is hyper money. 
and I, I had that in the airport, and it made airport travel so much more. And I was like, oh, oh, that bright orange, that bright orange fake colored, like cheese colored cookie with that peanut butter in. Yep. So what are your, what are your guys' thoughts on the uh, principes? I like the chocolate in it. I like it, yeah. Reminds me of a cookie I used to have back in Paris when I was a kid. Can't remember the name of it, though. Hmm. So, like, yeah, what's nice about the chocolate filling is it's, it's real greasy. You know what I mean? It's like almost yeah, yeah. It's, it's almost like it's a liquid. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. All right, I'm for it. And it's very cocoa-like. Do you, do you guys like chocolate flavors where it's like you can literally taste the cocoa powder? It's like, uh, do you like Tootsie Rolls? Yeah. Yeah, because they are. Yeah. To- Tootsie Rolls are objectively bad. They, no, like, if, if you had never had a Tootsie Roll before mm-hmm. and someone was like, I made this, you'd be like, the texture is good, but it sucks. You know what I'm saying? But because you grew up, <laughs> but, but because you grew up having them, you're like, I love this. Mm-hmm. This is good. It's also the kind of thing where like it's so handy. It's, it's like it's, you know, the, you know, the, um, the Southern Italian cookie mustacholi. No. So there, a bunch of different things are called mustacholi, but the one that like that we eat, right, is like basically it's just honey and flour worked together into a paste and baked. And they break your teeth. They're, they're absurd. You know what I mean? They're ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And then the first time you eat it, you're like, this sucks. And then you eat another one to be polite. And the third time, now you want them again. I'm sure Tootsie Rolls are the same thing. It's like you have to get over that hump. No one tastes their first Tootsie Rolls like, all right. Do they? I mean, I don't know. am I wrong about this? I could I be completely it. wrong. I like the flavored ones. Isn't that like a Starburst in a tube? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Starburst is a delicious candy. Yes, that's great. Starburst. That's right. Yep. I think. Uh, have we talked about Starburst versus High Chew? No. No. I believe. I believe that the High Chew, while I like the flavors, a little too waxy sometimes on the chew. Yeah. What are your guys' thoughts? I mean, John's with me. What, what, do, you, what do you guys think? I don't like them. You know, but do you like Starburst? Yeah. Yeah? Mm. What about Twizzler Red Vine? Yeah, Twizzler I agree. Red. No. I like. Well, you, you're a Red Vine? You're yeah. a Red Vine, no, not a Twizzler? No, I don't like. I, I don't like either. Do you know why I like them? Starch-based candy. It's a starch-based candy. Hmm. I love a starch-based candy. I all right. I don't like Red Vines at all. Really? Because I they do don't like, have flavor? I do like a Twizzler. Do you not like the Red Vines because of their complete lack of flavor? Um, not just that. It's, I don't like the texture as much, but like I grew up in a, weirdly enough, I grew up in a kosher home and uh, we had, our licorice that we had was made by Joya. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know them. The Joya licorice is dynamite. I have not had their licorice, but of course we've all had their fruit roll-ups because they invented the freaking fruit roll-up and they're out of Brooklyn. Brooklyn. What's your favorite fruit roll-up flavor? Mmm, Apple. Ooh, I'm an apricot man. Apricots I, are good, too. Because I love myself some dried apricots. This is some New York history for you, people. Uh, if you want more New York-related uh, food crap, just uh, ask, and we can go on uh, forever and ever and ever. Uh, but we should not, right? We should not? We okay. should not. Uh, Biff Ditt wrote in, hey, oh, I shouldn't have done this one because this is more just talky talk. But, uh, Dave, you mentioned quickly that you got into the food business and uh, Michael Batterberry found you. Can you actually fill in that blank? From what I can remember, you were doing sculpture in Brooklyn after college then somehow got a job teaching at the FCI. How did that happen? Not Brooklyn, my friend. Not Brooklyn. Manhattan. I've always managed to somehow keep my feet firmly planted on, uh, on the island. So when I moved back to New York, 
after college in 95, uh, we, you know, I went to Columbia for grad school. So we were like way, way uptown. And I lived up there for a little while and then moved into the garment district. This was so at that time, people were already saying Soho, so expensive. No one, no artist could live in Soho. It's too much money. And artists were moving out to Brooklyn. And so people were like, I remember when like Williamsburg was a free game nightmare. I would go over there to work. Right. So I had jobs in Williamsburg. I was working for a, a, a sculptor named John Kessler who had his studio over there. And it was an entirely different planet back in the in the 90s. Like Williamsburg, you, completely, completely unrecognizable. Um, anyway, after uh, grad school, uh, I went uh, – I moved to the garment district. I lived in an illegal loft and that's where uh, I started buying commercial restaurant equipment and then – because it was illegal. So I originally built a kitchen that was completely hidden. Like so uh, – because I wasn't allowed to live there. Our bedroom was hidden. So like the bedroom was exactly the width of a queen-size bed and had a, and had a wall so that you wouldn't even know there was a bedroom there. It was unfindable. It was in this like secret hallway. And then the kitchen, I built a floor-to-ceiling bookshelf on casters that floated the entire uh, bookshelf a quarter of an inch off the floor so nothing was visible. And then I built a wall out where the kitchen was, where the sink and all the kitchen was, and the entire bookshelf wheeled in and completely closed off where the kitchen area was so it was completely invisible, like completely. So like it was like if someone walked in, they would not know that anyone lived there except for we had a shower. And what I said was I'm an artist. I do a lot of welding. I need to be able to wash up. So I put a shower in and that was legit. Like they knew I had a shower. Uh, then back in New York, back in the day, we used to have something called a Fox police lock. Now, a Fox police lock, if you if you look at any old school, they're, they're, they're gone. They don't exist anymore. But what it was is, is that, you know, we used to have these bl- like blast doors in, in uh, our loft buildings and the locks on them were these giant steel bars that would you'd have a you'd pull out on a knob and you'd rotate the knob and just like an old school dungeon it would make that old school dungeon noise and these these I had the cheap one with only two metal bars but the real hard, hardcore people had four metal bars top bottom left right and the bars would just expand out and go into the cement of your wall and it would take like it would take a bulldozer to break your door down if you had a fox police lock so I had a fox police lock and then. I just never answered my phone, and I wouldn't answer the door if people knocked, and I realized the landlord was never going to come in, so I started collect- I went from having a completely hidden kitchen to having a commercial deep fat fryer, uh, a commercial two-door deli case uh, glass fridge, which is life-changing but also incredibly inefficient, uh, uh, a garland, six-burner garland with a salamander, and so I started customizing restaurant equipment, and I was moving away from art. Uh, and I came up with the idea of Museum of Food and Drink, actually. And when's that uh, thing opening up? February 22nd? Yeah, and so I was trying to transition into the food world. And I came to the attention of Michael Batterberry, who hired me actually to write history pieces until, because I, you know, I was a food history guy, until he realized that I was also a food tech guy because I had been helping Wiley out. I befriended Wiley because Wiley was hitting on Miley, my sister-in-law who runs the Food Network magazine now, but at the time was writing for Time Out New York. And the rest, as they say, is uh, history. I started writing for Food Arts magazine, and then he got me hired onto the FCI. And there you go. There you go. Is that a... Great answer. Yeah? Done? All right. Uh, From Oxy, why do you press down an espresso shot dense into a machine, into the portafilter, but to tamp a mocha pot is not done? Oxy, my friend, it is a matter of pressure. 
in a uh, in a commercial espresso machine, you have like uh, many many bars of pressure, like 135, 140 pounds per square inch of pressure going in there. So the idea is to make a very finely compacted puck, and you want a very even percolation through it. You're barely getting like any pressure at all in a mocha pot. In a mocha pot, you're boiling stuff, and uh, it's percolating up through the through the uh, coffee grounds into the pot. But the pressure is, as we say, minimal. If it's not, you're in deep deep doo-doo. So you, if you compacted a mocha pot too much, you're not going to get the percolation you need. It's not going to work. Is that a decent answer? Yep. They're entirely different, by the way. The next time someone says to you that... The, I know many people who love mocha pot coffee. You guys all know what I'm talking about, mocha pot, right? The little hexagonal or octagonal things, right? Uh, it's fine to love mocha pot coffee. It's not espresso. Okay? They're different products. They're different products. And the next time someone conflates them... Just drop whatever you're doing. I don't care whether you're doing surgery on somebody. Just drop the stuff and walk out. Don't you know? Don't be mean or anything like that. Just you have to. You have to get your. You have to get yourself out of that. Out of that situation. It's just a bad situation. Um, Brandon Bird, when uh, with Modernist Cuisine turning 11 years old this year. Can you believe that? 11 years old. Dang. Not so modern anymore. This is the problem with using the term modern. Like modern art is. From like almost a hundred years ago, it's like the fifties. Yeah. yeah, yeah, right. And people don't make modern art anymore. No, it's dumb. It's yep. a dumb term. We're even done with postmodern art now. Yeah, po- no, postmodern art was back when I was doing it, yeah. and it was like, you know, at least like come up with a dumb term that no one understands, and then you you could widgetize it, yeah. right? Like, ooh, structuralist, yes. post-structuralist. I was gonna say, <laughs> you know what I mean? Ooh, you know, neo-Marxist post-structuralism. Yeah. At least these are just like widget words that you can move around. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then every 20 years you can change their meaning and whether or not you like the people who wrote about it. But modernism, I mean, modern is supposed to have a word. Modern. Yeah. It's like nouvelle cuisine. A dumb. Yeah. yeah. People are short-sighted. Anyway. Uh, with modernist cuisine turning 11 this year, it's like, why don't you just call it now cooking? You know what I mean? And then you can look back at like the 1970s and see like, you know, the old Conrad's ads or like old Macy's ads where people... Or like right with those goofy 70s fonts. You know 70s is coming back? Did you guys see this? If you guys look through furniture design manuals now and like food stuff, like the 70s is huge again. Why? I, I don't know. What's the worst era that you hope never comes back? I don't know. The dark ages sounded pretty terrible. I mean for food though. <laughs> for food. Oh, for food. The 80s were pretty trashy. 70s and 80s are pretty. I mean like. Yeah, 80s, 90s. Right? I mean the 90s we had some good stuff. I don't know. Yeah, 80s. Early 90s? Nastasia, huh? what about for uh, rock and roll haircuts? What, 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 what era is uh, do you hope never comes back, and what era do you love the most? <laughs> uh, uh, early, late 80s, early 90s, never again. And oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait. Oh, that's your time. I don't know. Well, that is my, I don't love, but what about early 80s, like totally frosted? You like that? No, actually. No? Mm-mm. Mm. All right. I love the memory of it, but when I see it now again, I'm like, yeah, that wasn't so good. But my memory of it is that it's fantastic. I carry a picture of my wife from the 80s in my wallet with me at all times. I used to show it to people, (laughs) and they would – she got so mad at me that she threw the picture away, and then her mom gave me another copy of the picture recently. So her her 80s picture (laughs) is again – what happened to the permanent? What do you mean? The hairstyle, the permanent. What happened? People don't do that anymore. Do they? Stas, do people still do that? 
I don't know. Get permanents? Have you seen someone with a permanent recently? No. That was a thing. You never got a permanent, did you, Saz? No. Mm-mm. Mm. I love that. All right. With Modernist Cuisine turning 11 this year, low-temperature cooking and sous vide techniques have been popular for a decade or so. I would say they were able to write the books because the, uh, the techniques were already popular. That's what I would say. Um, in uh, my estimation, what are the best new techniques or applications that have emerged in the years since Modernist Cuisine's publication? Curious about both low-temperature cooking with circulators and combis as well as actual sous vide using vacuum machines. Also, Stas, uh, Josh Bell is on record as enjoying Genesis's... Genesis's Supper's Ready and The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway, which are both squarely in the Peter Gabriel era. Huh. Did you know that, Stas? No. We only had the one date, as you recall. Yeah, but, you know, you, you, like, you, know, you like any sort of Phil Collins reference, so now you, 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 now have, even less, you have even less in common with him yep. that he chose a Gabriel Genesis, because you're, you're not a Peter Gabriel person, are you? Not really. I mean, Sledgehammer was a good solo first effort, right? Sledge? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good video. Um, Brandon, I'm not exactly sure I understand what you mean because, like, new – see, the the crazy kind of explosion of creativity that happened in that time was about a certain – like, going after a, just a boat ton of different pieces of equipment. Like, everyone was racing – People had just me. I had just figured eBay. I was buying stuff on eBay before people like bought kitchen equipment on eBay for Wiley. This is why I was able to get them stuff so cheap, and even though we didn't have any money, and people were just getting all kinds of lab equipment, and and there was this huge explosion, which I guess you could trace pretty squarely to what Ferran and a bunch of other people were doing o- over in Spain, and um, it was also a huge moment in history because people. With, you know, this is before that. This is in the, you know, late 90s. People really were looking not as much at France anymore and because of Spain and were looking at Spain. As, and they understood that that the the finest of fine dining and what was going on didn't have to be centralized, didn't have to be French, didn't have to be like kind of what we had grown up classically thinking. And it was kind of a mind explosion moment. And I think that that same level of creativity is ha- happening today. It's just not in that same vain anymore right so i think that you know what's happened over the past you know five ten years with uh fermentation with uh you know various kind of um you know new fermenting of new products like the stuff that jeremy and rich are doing and uh you know like this kind of uh even even the explosion like 10 years ago of uh you know new charcuterie products and all these sorts of like uh, just attempts to control your environment, I think, are were going forward. But I don't know that of any new amazing technical uh, techniques. I mean, we develop new techniques all the time, but nothing on the order of you know using a circulator or low temperature cooking, which I believe is the biggest fundamental change in how you think about cooking that's happened in like you know two hundred years. So it's like you know it's like you have you have fire. Right. Then you have like controlled fire in ovens. That's a big deal. Refrigeration's a big deal. And then figuring out low temperature cooking is a big deal in terms of how it changes the way you think about the way food cooks. And so, you know, it's unlikely that something's going to make that big a dent again soon. I don't know. What do you guys think? Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely not been, I don't know. I don't want to say not exciting, but it hasn't been exciting me personally the last couple of years, the food scene. Yeah, but I think you're just burning out. 
Yeah, it could be. I mean, the thing is, like, you, you know what you have to do? You have to the, – the pandemic is damaging. This is, this is the thing. It's like uh, every – you have to – every couple of years, you have to have an oh, my God experience somewhere. You know what? The, the other night I went to Zuzu's out in Hudson Yards. If you guys haven't been yet, it is excellent. That place was really, really delicious. Yeah? Yeah, great Mediterranean food, really fun. It's with a lot, a lot, a lot of the old staff from Nomad, the Nomad Hotel. Yeah. Uh, front and back of house. And, yeah, the food was really good, really exciting. So what was it that surprised you about it? They did this duck a l'orange play, but inside the the cigara burek, you know, so you know the filo dough shaped thing that's like in the spiral, and they stuff that with duck, and then this like really nice orange glaze on top was really delicious and fun. Um, this uh, steak au poivre on a kebab was really good and just fun and innovative. I don't know, it was just it was it was a really good meal. I'd recommend going. Kebab au poivre. What cut yeah. of steak did they use? Filet. Yeah, that was good. I'm yeah. okay with it. I think people need to stop hating on the fillet because even though it doesn't have that that much flavor, it's texturally amazing. It's got its place. It's got its place. Yeah. I feel like, you know, everyone who knows about food has hated on it long enough and now you can just be and like, yes, there's not that very much of it that's in a cow, so to only want to go eat fillet is a huge mistake. But that doesn't mean you have to hate on it. Yeah. You know? Agreed. Yeah. L.A. now New York, Joe. What are your thoughts on steak au poivre? Steak au poivre. Um, I don't have, like, a really memorable experience eating one. No, this is L.A. You need to get some steak au poivre in you, man. But we know a really good club. Yeah? Yeah. A really For steak au poivre? Or no. are you talking about the other place? The place we went. So, Nastasia, so imagine, like, Two rail thin, long hair, beautiful, pr- pr- pretty men. boy DJs, beautiful men, pretty boy DJs. That's all you need for Nastasia at plus a disco ball, and you know that's it. She's good to go. But it's a great club for anybody that wants to go dancing, right, Joe? Yeah, no, they played really great music. They're very friendly. You can go right up to them and dance. And... The DJs he's talking about. Yeah. Oh yeah, the DJs. They even take requests, which most DJs don't. Yeah, they played uh, my favorite Italian disco song, which is Tivoglio. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joe and, and Dave danced. Yeah, yeah. Joe. <laughs> uh, yes. So, listeners, longtime listeners in the show might know you as Mr. Persimmon Compote. Oh yeah. Why don't you talk about a little bit? I about, don't think you know that. Why don't you talk really? a little bit yeah. about Persimmon Compote? Persimmon Compote. You apparently made a persimmon compote for Nastasia, and she enjoyed it. You, you have no recollection of this? No. Re- are you kidding me? <laughs> How, if I made a persimmon compote, I cook, I cook like every day. You know what I mean? Are we sure it was persimmon? It was persimmon. It was persimmon. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And it, like, was it was in the summer. I would be like, persimmon Was it hachia compote? persimmon or fuyu? You made it, dude. <laughs> I would you put assume... it on pancakes. Yeah. Yeah. You remember that? No. Oh, okay. This is, it's struggling to come up. Um, yeah. How did I do it? Is I that just, what you're asking? I just, just want to know like, where, where, the came, where it came from. Where it came from? Well, I like, persimmon is kind of a fruit I've recently become enamored with. And I've made compotes in the past with like raspberries and blueberries. Nothing fancy. But then I was like, yeah, let's like heat up a saucepan and throw some persimmon in there. Reduce it. Put in... I don't even know what kind of... I might have used coconut oil. What? <laughs> oh, no. You're going to throw it down. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Fine. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, and you probably used honey, not sugar. 
Maybe some sugar, some cinnamon, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like the nagman. I call it na- in our house. It's nagman. I don't know why. But yeah, persimmon. It was just I thought like, why not persimmon? And I mean, that could flip that on. Like, but the, why, why persimmon? But sure. why persimmon? Yeah. Well, I like and the which taste persimmon? of persimmon. What's the taste of persimmon? That's the thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what is not quick enough? Dave's gonna answer. What's for the? You. No, I won't. I can't. I can't describe persimmon. Yeah. Like it's one of those indescribable. It's like an apple. Not no. quite though. It's like a it's peach. No, creamier in a way. It depends on which one you're having. The, my favorite is the hachia, which like really gets soft and ripens, like almost like a custard. And when you bite into it, it's it's viscous. It's like liquid. Right, see, and you, you, it, hear, you hear the yeah. tone of your voice? Viscous liquid. There's something, and I don't mean this in a negative way, or as I, I like to say, Stas, what's the word I always use? Uh, dim- pejorative. 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 Yeah. pejorative yeah. Uh, there's something. Do you know where that comes from? This is a, t- a short, terrible story. We're in Japan, and we got a piece of equipment, and Dave's telling the Japanese, who can barely understand him, this piece of equipment is weak. It's weak. And they're like, I don't understand weak. Uh, with that word weak. I don't, and Dave was like, I, I don't mean it in a pejorative way. And they're all like, what? <laughs> like, they don't like, understand oh, weak. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, douche. So, like, there's something deeply revolting about persimmon. And I don't mean it in a pejorative way. What I mean is there's something that when you eat it, it there's something frightening about the flavor of a persimmon. There's something kind of like, like you're eating something that you shouldn't. There's something kind of like, what? Uh, there's something like, to me, there's something like kind of like, uh, like all, not like full animal, like not like animal note, but like something like other, there's something other like about poop, the flavor. Like poop? Like the, um, like, like that molecule that what's her name used to talk about? Jazz, the jasmine stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, whatever that molecule is. There's something like that. It's like, it's part textural and it's part that like non-acidic fruit aroma that like non, low acid fruits, like I find like deeply disturbing. You know what I mean? So like when we eat things like canistel, which I love, right? Um. I, I put acid on them. You know what I mean? Because otherwise, like I'm like, it's a little bit, repellent like 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 if you ate a bunch of it you would throw up you know what i mean it's like there's something that my body is rejecting in it and i don't know what it is and for me persimmons like that but i like it it's good anyway not in the way that beets taste like filth i mean like you know but like a different thing you got but you guys don't get that it must be a weird mental thing no yeah i I encourage you to investigate this feeling further because (laughs) i also don't know what part of the persimmon you're referring to because it's not you're probably eating it when it's ripe, no? Like you... I've eaten them bleded, I've eaten them dried, I've eaten them, I've eaten them hard, I've eaten them so I mean, I'm not talking about the astringency. I can deal with astringency. Yeah, okay. Come on, man. I'm a grown man. Okay. <laughs> um anyway, I don't know. It's you vid- should read the poem Persimmons by Lee Young Lee. It's a lovely long poem about that, he, that features he only persimmons. It's nonfiction. I'll read it to you, Dave. It sounds, it sounds like it's about persimmons, so it's nonfiction. They exist. Persimmons are real. Um, That's not what constitutes nonfiction or fiction, but whatever. <laughs> All right, Joe. <laughs> uh, that is not what constitutes fiction. Like, I can write a fictional story about you, Dave, and you're a real person. No, no. <laughs> Nastasia would disagree. She'd say, I am what? Half a man. Yeah. Half a man. Uh, Alexander writes in, 
Uh, I just wanted to come with an update. So remember, Alexander wrote in about um, potatoes. So back in the day, you're supposed to throw sticks into the bottom of your birch sticks into the bottom of your pan. Uh, put your meat on top of the birch sticks so it stays above. And so, that, you know, the bir- I don't know why you don't just buy a steamer basket, but instead you use birch sticks, right? So, you know, those of us over here where we don't have birch sticks, what we do have is steamer baskets. But I'm sure the birch sticks add aroma. I'm sure it's great. You remember back like uh, 10 years ago, everybody was cooking everything in hay? Yeah. Oh, my God. Everyone was like, it's <laughs> the hay. We're cooking in the hay. I love the, the the best part about getting older is seeing these like things cycle in yeah. and out, just seeing them cycle. You know what I mean? I didn't mind the hay cooking. You? No. Let me ask you a question. Stas, you remember hay? Remember when hay was a big thing? Kind of. Okay. Have you ever had something cooked in hay that was not viciously overcooked? Like viciously overcooked. Jordana and I did our clam bacon hay, and it was f- good, fine. Do you like overcooked uh, pencil eraser clams? I do. I don't mind them. I'm just I- I'm asking you legitimately. It was fine. Fine. I think it's one of those things where it's more fun to do it than it is about the taste. And why hay and not seaweed? We what? didn't find any seaweed on that beach. But you found hay? Yeah. Were you cutting down dune grass, which is destroying the habitat? Yeah. You lunatic. Uh... Okay, Alexander writes in, I want to come with an update. I did a test and boiled a bunch of almonds. Don't cut down seagrass, Daz. What do you think keeps the beaches from <laughs> Just... washing into the ocean? Uh, do that in Cape Cod and you'll get decked. Do you do that in Cape Cod and that's like, you know... Anyway. Uh, I boiled a bunch of almond potatoes. Remember those, those little potatoes? Starting with cold water. This is important. Cold water... Lid on, just like you would with, uh, I'm not going to pronounce it properly, penagit, uh, uh, only without the actual meat. I used a long time to heat up the water, around 30 minutes to one hour to get it to boiling, and boiled it for over three hours. None of the potatoes burst, but they got softer than they did at Christmas time, where my dad said he boiled for three hours. Uh, so here's what I think is happening. Your slow boil, I think, is the key here. I'm pretty sure that what you're doing is the old Jeffrey Steingarten trick of, uh, by bringing up slowly the enzymes in the, uh, the pectin, methyl e- pectin methylesterase enzymes in there, which, remember, are the opposite of pectinase. Pectin methylesterase in the presence of calcium will cross-link pectin and make it very, very stable, right? So pectin methylesterase... Acidity, so any vinegar or anything that's added to liquids, uh, anything like that, all of those are going to strengthen pectin. So the very slow bring-up is going to allow those uh, pectin methylesterase enzymes before they're deactivated. They get deactivated above 65, 70C, somewhere in that range between 60 and 70C. uh, Allows them to do their thing and stiffen those freaking potatoes so that they don't burst. This is my guess about what's happening. It may be in the real... Recipe, maybe there's some acid, I don't know, from the meat, from a marinade, from a, a marinade that drips down and maybe also strengthens the potatoes. I can't tell you, but I'm guessing it's the slow bring-up that's helping you. What do you guys think? Anything? Yeah. Anything? Yeah. Yeah, Stas right, care. we got time for one more question. Hold on. Uh, he also wants to add, uh, someone asked about shaking a couple of weeks ago um, and about dry shake versus not dry shake. And Alexander feels that just if you just shake that, ever-loving snot out of it. You can do it with one shake with an egg white. You can just get a nice foam with, with, without, a, without a dry shake. I don't know. These are tests that need to be run. Uh, Mood Therapist writes in, a question for the show. I've tried clarifying tamarind a few times, and it always has a super fine cloud of stuff that drops out after the fact, but it's too fine to be caught by even a coffee filter. What is it, and is there a trick for dispensing uh, with it without spoiling the flavor? Thanks. 
Um, so unless you have a very, very, very strong centrifuge, a lot of these things, things that don't come out are typically uncharged uh, items, so usually not proteins. Most of uh, well, unless they're soluble proteins, but it's not usually that. If they set, Things that eventually settle are typically particles of um, non, uh, non-charged polysaccharides, so starch and starch breakdown products. I'm pretty sure that that's what's going on in the tamarind. There's some, uh, there's some non-charged polysaccharides that are floating around, and because they don't have charge, the wine-finding agents can't really act on them, and because they're not pectin and not pe- or, or, uh, or hemicellulose, the enzymes can't break them down. So I think what you have to do on that is just uh, rack it, just rack it. The other thing you can do is you can try to um, re-put just filth in it and then spin the filth out, and some of it will stick to it. But anything that you're going to add to it that will hard stick to things like that, like bentonite, is also going to strip a lot of flavor. But that's my guess. For instance, uh, certain bananas, even very ripe bananas that aren't Cavendish bananas, have a lot of starch in them, and that that they don't uh, clarify easily unless you have very high-powered centrifuges. But I'm pretty sure that's what's going on. Tamarind, best-tasting, ugliest thing. Am I right? Yeah. Ugly. Delicious. Do you, when you buy tamarind, do you buy when you whole tamarind? Mm-hmm. Do you buy the sweets, the sours, or the mediums? Uh, I don't know. I've I've never bought tamarind actually. Really? Yeah, I love tamarind unless they have the bug holes in them. You get the box home and they all had the bug holes. That kind of ticks me off. I like them all. There's a medium one. The really sour one I think is too much. The really sweet one is delicious. The one that's right in the middle, I believe it's Thai. Did I ever get you this sauce? There's a Thai yeah. product where they. They they don't make it into a brick, but they completely take all of the ugly veins out of it and all the seeds and just pack it so that you could just you know how fast you can eat tamarind if all of that stuff's taken out of it? So fast. So mm-hmm. delicious. Pure tamarind. Without all the I like the crystally sugar stuff and but sometimes I just want pure tamarind, you know? Is mm-hmm. it what are you eating right there? A tamarind candy? Tamarind just candy, one of yeah. uh, Joe's uh, tamarind candies. Anastasia was telling me to open, yeah. Bol Pica. Sorry, give me give me some. Have these guys have some have this? Well, I uh, I'm gonna. I was like, from Will Klein as a connoisseur of bubbles and carbonation guru. Uh, I wanted your, uh, my opinion on pouring technique. I've recently seen videos of bartenders pouring carbonated beverages uh, down the stem of a bar spoon, stating it helps to mix the components of the drink and preserve bubble potency. Uh, I'm of the opinion that that would be more surface area than pouring down the side of the glass. Your insight would be appreciated. Uh, the podcast has gotten me through many over uh, overnight work shifts. Thanks, and I can't wait for the series all pro. Me neither, Will. Me neither. Uh, I'm going to go with you on this. I think what pouring things down a bar spoon does is a cool bar trick. Basically, it's a cool bar trick. Um, but I, I'm a firm believer in tilting the glass, pouring it until you have a liquid surface. And once you have a liquid surface, I just... I drop the glass down and pour directly into the liquid. But that's that's just always what I do. I've never actually done a, a test where I've, you know, uh, measured the carbonation because measuring carbonation is a huge nightmare. Almost, you know what I was doing the other day, John? Measuring the surface area of potatoes. How would you go about if... measuring the surface area of a potato? Well, I would take tinfoil. Ah. <laughs> ah. And a planimeter. Mm-hmm. Look up planimeter, kids. That is a That is a fun piece of equipment, again, that no one... Within five years, everyone's going to have a uh, their iPhone will be able to do a complete 3D scan and tell you the volume and the surface area of everything. But now I'm still wrapping potatoes in aluminum foil, spray painting them with black paint, spread, spreading the aluminum foil back out, and then tracing that with a planimeter to get the surface area of a potato. From Maximo95, uh, hey, Dave, Nastasia, John, Joe, and Joe now, uh, and Jack. Come on, man. Come on, Maximo. 
leaving Jack out. Come on. Leaving out the molecules. Come on. Quick question. <laughs> We're thinking about getting a Buchner funnel, which is a terrible word. Uh, Buchner funnels, okay, so for those of you who never used a Buchner funnel, uh, it is a terrible word. It's a like typically white ceramic funnel with a, a rubber stopper in the bottom of it, and in the in the in in it is a flat perforated plate. And you're and what you're meant to do is you're meant to stick a filter paper into the Buchner funnel, and then shove the Buchner funnel into an Erlenmeyer flask. Erlenmeyer flasks are the triangular ones with the flat bottoms, one that has a vacuum takeoff. And then you put the vacuum takeoff onto the Erlenmeyer flask. You pour your crap into the. You wet your filter paper so it sticks down to all the little holes. Make sure there's no no empty you know holes that are showing. You pour your crap into the vacuum uh, Buchner funnel, and it filters the liquid out and leaves the solid behind. Am I clear? Am I clear? Now, this works great in a lab, horribly in a kitchen. Because the Buchner funnel is going to clog up instantaneously. So unless what you're trying to do is get a very small amount of precipitate onto filter paper out of a reaction, like some sort of, I don't know, you're precipitating potassium permanganate or some kind of crazy thing, which you're not doing in a kitchen, it is not, in my estimation, a good piece of equipment to use in kitchen-scale environments. That's, uh, that's, that's what I'm going to say about that. Was that right. it? Yep. Is it? What, yep. what? Yeah, we got to wrap up now. What? I have one more. One more. One more, and I'm done with all the Patreon ones. All right, John, can we do it? I guess. We still have two more Patreon ones that came in earlier, yeah. but yeah. Steve Goodwine writes in, I've noticed that I get better browning and better crust when searing proteins such as steak, pork chops, burgers, etc. in a skillet on the stove with very little oil. That's the key that they're talking about, very little oil. Uh, I get best results when I put a small amount of oil in a preheated skillet and wipe most of it out. Is there anything approaching a standing? If there's anything approaching a standing pool of oil in the pan, it takes a prolonged cook to achieve a similar look. Why might this be? Listen, uh, Steve, I'm actually doing some tests on this. I mean, not as we speak, because right now I'm speaking to you, but I, I'm testing a lot of this right now. And a lot of this has to do with whether the meat is raw or whether the meat is cooked. If the meat is cooked, it can't conform to the pan. Right, so if you're if you're searing something that's already been cooked like low temperature, because it is it can't conform, you need enough oil to actually touch it. Right, so it, there there are different different issues to look at. I'm assuming what you mean is raw meat, and it's an interesting question. I'm looking into it. We'll talk more about it uh, soon. All right. And did you have two more Patreon things? We need to, do we need to get to them now? Are they uh, we time can't sensitive? Get to them today, no, they're not time sensitive. No. All right. And what was it? What was it, Stas? That we said we were going to talk about, but I didn't get a chance to. San Francisco, but you did. No, no, there's something else. Nah, no, well. Oh, yeah. I don't remember. Yesterday when we were talking on the phone, I don't remember. You know what my mom used to say? If it's really important, you won't remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You always forget the most important things. Mm. That's yep. life. True. Cooking issues.